So there's a classic experiment where a psychologist plays a video of people bouncing basketballs to a, to a group. He says to the group, count how many times these basketballs are bounced. And people are so intent on doing that, they don't notice a guy in a gorilla suit walks through the entire right to left, walks completely across the field of view. And afterwards, he asks the people who are counting basketballs, how many of you saw the gorilla? And only about half the people raise their hands. What scenarios do and what these future narratives do is open your mind and your vision up so that you can see some of these things happening on the peripheral, your mind would have ignored being so focused on where you are right now. So yeah, a lot of people are being challenged right now because they don't see necessarily see the pre-pandemic vision of the organization working, and yet we, don't, we haven't replaced it with anything. I'm Steve Hurst. And I'm Vesey Ivanova. We're with Found Brand Agency. I'm Christian Cruz, founder of WavePoint. You're listening to WavePoint Found, a podcast that explores brand and identity in the context of change. When you're dealing with record high unemployment, shifting market priorities, volatile cultural change, all in the middle of a global pandemic, investing in a future vision may seem like a risk, or at the very least, a low priority. We argue that it is a monumental risk not to look beyond the now. In this episode of LifePoint Found, we're rewinding back to early summer 2020 to a conversation we had with Christian Cruz at the height of lockdown and uncertainty. We talked about how the pandemic is impacting company cultures and creating an imperative to communicate vision to your people in the market. Building a strong culture and aligning your team behind a vision is not only smart, it pays dividends both in productivity at a time when hiring power is limited and in increased trust and loyalty for your brand. I think there's another way to look at what the pandemic is doing, and I think it's how it reveals who people truly are. As, as an individual who might be overwhelmed by mm. an overabundance of information, you then resort to just perceiving in a given situation, you go, okay, this is a good person or a bad person. They are choosing to do things that are good for me or bad for me. Certainly, it's a lot more personal in this context than it is in a context where you're generally safe and you generally have a job and your world is easier to navigate. It matters a lot more now and it's much easier to perceive a lack of empathy, for example, in a leader or in a leader of a company. That is also an influence where people are maybe moving towards the middle because some of that harsh way of being in the world is easier to see. How do you think that that trend of visibility and transparency evolves alongside the trend of post-truth and, and cynicism and people don't really believe what they're told or there's like one channel that they, that they buy into, right? So if they, Bifurcation yeah. of reality? Yeah, sure. Before the pandemic hit, I was writing a book and I was looking at five key shifts in the 2020s that by the end of the decade would be would be shifted. And one of these was, a, was around some of this post-truth, gathering at the polls rather than, than in the middle type of trend. I did see that starting to shift and starting to move towards what I would call the diverse middle. I do think that the pandemic is challenging people's presupposed understanding of their political identities. I know a lot more people now who are not blinded by a political position. Facts are getting through. Obviously, we see, because that's what the news shows us, more of the extremes, but there have been some recent surveys that show a lot more people are in the middle than on the edges. I think a disruption like this may have sort of reset that a little bit and, and may have blown away some of the political binders on both sides and made people get to a more technocratic approach, which is, okay, what works? If it means that this thing can get solved quicker, I can keep my job and I can go out to a restaurant or see my friends sooner 
then that's what I'm going to go do. I do think that the pandemic is potentially unfreezing or starting that process of unfreezing a little faster, the polemic edges that we were on, because I don't, that's not sustainable. So I think the severity thing is a really interesting point, uh, because I think it's also something that might end up being a point of polarization that brands are going to have to navigate, because different groups of the population are going to think of this as a more severe experience than others. And therefore, they will need to be spoken to or addressed by these brands in very different ways. And that's a a very different challenge from the traditional type of market segmentation, because you literally are talking to someone who's living in a different world in a very real and visceral way. Uh, Locker says, ever vigilant brand manager on on Twitter, got tagged by um, Mindy Kaling uh, looking for a box of new dishware. She sent out to her, her cookware, yeah. a cookware to her followers. Hey, does anyone know you know an all-in-one box of cookware that I can just go and buy real quick? I don't want to work for it. I don't want to research. I just want to. I just want to grab it. And within a few tweets, Locker says, uh, social brand manager responds like, "Oh, we got you covered." And you know, what colors do you want? And you know, by the way, we'll throw in all the items that you want too for free, essentially. Celebrity influencer. And oh man, the the hellfire that happened in that thread after that. Now, granted, it's on Twitter, but still, sure, there's... it's yeah, um, expected behavior on Twitter, but. That's a severe lack of self awareness hit on Locker's side. Yeah, we've certainly been tracking that blowback of rich people and celebrities in this time. Yeah, uh, and what we're seeing is celebrities and 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 large companies and CEOs stepping in and trying to do things probably very authentically. Like we want to give back, we want to help, but at the same time, there's an awful lot of society that's looking at them saying. Yeah, why can you afford to do so much, right? Maybe the balance was off in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I do believe that we'll start to see a reversal of some of the economic bifurcation that's happening in the world. And we'll start to see average workers pay moving up and maybe some of the C-suite and some of the founders sharing more of their equity with a broader set of not just their employees, but also the communities that they're working in Jeff Bezos is coming is is approaching trillionaire status, which is fantastic for him because I followed Amazon. I've been an Amazon uh, purchaser from the beginning. They used to send me Christmas presents because I was one of their their <laughs> early customers. <laughs> Think of all the value that Amazon has created in terms of all the people that it's employed and and all of the suppliers that are now using it as a platform and all this other stuff. Fantastic. At the same time, at this stage, should frontline workers not get a pee break? Or, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, get paid so little that they're also on federal assistance. Reworking that equation yeah. uh, a little bit seems to be something that is going to have to happen. And so he deserves a, a big chunk of money, right, to do that. Does he need to be a trillionaire while some of his frontline workers are getting Medicare or Medicaid in addition to, right. you know, their minimum wage in their warehouses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the conversation is, has been too much that on the number, right? So is a trillion too much? Is a billion too much? Is a hundred million too much? I think that it's not about the number. It's if the organization you're running has that kind of really gross disparity, that's the problem. Because if you can generate trillion dollars in market value, um, you know, plus run a company without immense poverty and frontline compromise issues, cool. Like, why not, right? That is a potentially positive outcome out of some of this, which is a fundamental rethink around how value is distributed in society. Everybody wants to express empathy with what's going on. Everybody wants to be part of a solution. Everyone's scrambling around 
to try to help and they want to get that message out there. Some of these ads that are coming out are just as much targeted to their own employees as they are to the world, whether it's a car company saying, this is who we've always been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're making face shields now. We're creating the things that people need when they need them. You know, when it was the 1920s, it was about giving personal transportation and freedom. In the 60s, it was about giving boomers their own identity and their own freedoms, right? So, and, and now we're giving freedom by having health shield, you know, face shields and PPE. That is as much a story that they're telling the world as they're telling everybody working in their plants. In, in terms of the, the, the incredible value of having a perspective and a vision as a larger organization, this I think is especially relevant in the age of data and everything being data-driven and data-oriented and also in the age of wanting to be agile and pivot quickly. It's essential when you're running a larger organization to give people a vision that they're working towards. If you want them to be able to self-assemble and understand within their role, what the best thing is they can do at any given moment. If you're able to provide a vision that everyone can move towards, you're much more likely to increase the ability of any individual to move towards that vision to the best of their ability. And if you are then able to tie that vision to the core identity of your company, then you're not only powering the direction that they're going, but you're also powering the, the energy that drives that, which is the culture of that organization. And you really have something very powerful in your hands. It is true that as we move into an organization, we latch on to pieces of the, of the corporate identity. That's why we're there. We want to be part of something bigger. And so when you put a vision out there, again, incredibly important that people in the organization can see themselves in that vision. I think there's an awful lot of companies that are trying to figure out, A, what is our identity? And B, how do I get my people to come along with me? People that are being bombarded by messages from everybody saying, we can help, we can help, we can help. And so that's super difficult to authentically communicate out there into the world in a way that is taken the right way in this time. It's so tough. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is incredibly hard. It's also, there's a simple lens to look through, check as you're moving forward in any kind of messaging, anything you want to put out there. And am I saying this because I want to put something out into the world or am I saying this because I'm understanding what people need right now and I'm genuinely trying to give? And that seems super simple, but I think it's a muscle we've sort of lost in the process of trying to control our brands and control the messaging that we put out there. It's quite easy to lose hold of. Am I really helping? If you ask yourself that question and if you think about who you're trying to help, I think it can provide a surprising amount of clarity. This is the time to give. And it sounds super trite, but that's the bottom line. And I think it's time to give. And I think it's a time to try and be really intentional about providing hopeful perspectives. Mm -hmm. Because there's certainly no shortage of dark ones. But as you pointed out, when you provide a vision, people will align behind that vision. Why not provide one that's more hopeful? You've been listening to Wavepoint Found, the podcast that explores brand and identity in the context of change. I'm Vessi Ivanova. And I'm Steve Hurst. And we're with Found Brand Agency. We'll help our clients launch brands, ideas, and products by keeping them grounded in their identity as they navigate change. I'm Christian Cruz, founder of Wavepoint. We help companies use the future to grow their products and services, contribute to their communities, and create a better planet. Our show is produced by Found Brand Agency, with engineering and production assistance by Stuart Leach, and original score by Richard Carpenter. You can find past episodes and subscribe for future episodes by visiting anchor.fm slash wavepointfound. Thanks for listening.